0: Oh, I thought he
1: was alright. Give him
0: back the Good Take
2: back, everyone. This is episode 194 of the Grinning Gold Rugby Podcast. It's semi-final time, and aren't we excited? We're pumping out these podcasts for you at the moment. We hope you're enjoying them. This is Rugby Reg, and uh, we've got a great crew tonight, but we need to mention our newest supporter, Dropbox. So Grinning Gold Rugby is now supported by Dropbox, a trusted by 8 million Australians to keep their files safe, synced, and easy to share with anyone. Australian companies such as Bauer Media Group, Campaign Monitor, Shoes of Prey, Bellroy and Suntory all use Dropbox for Business to help their team members work together no matter where they are or what tools they use. Get your whole team on Dropbox for Business today to keep your information easy to manage and secure with a 30-day trial. Try it for free at dropbox.com business. And getting down to business, let's intro our first guest. Will McDougall, how are you going, Will?
3: Very well, thanks, Reg. Looking forward to the semis. Yep, catching up in your midweek sleep, I hope. Yeah, I was a bit tired on Monday morning, I have to say, yeah. and, and emotionally wrecked. <laughs> yes, I could imagine.
2: Uh, now, Jamie, mate, you're fresh the daisy, up early in the morning over there stateside?
0: Absolutely, happy to be here.
2: Great to have you. And uh, also joining us from Sydney, Hugh Cavill. How are you going, Hugh?
1: I'm oh, good, Reg, good to see a few new faces in the roster, you know, just our, our work building depth in those weeks before the World Cup, it's now paying off and we've got some, you know, some experienced blokes coming in and, and taking the slots in the lineup. so, um, it's a squad, yeah.
2: It's a squad game, you mate, you can't rely on your starters, it's how you finish sometimes. Exactly yeah, right. and
1: it,
0: it's, it's good to see, you know, our star is out today, you know, he's he, Matt, he's unable to be here and, you know, we just step up to the plate, I mean, that's what we've yeah. been trained to do.
1: He's yeah. run off with all that sweet Dropbox money. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yes, and, and thank you to
2: Dropbox, our new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll talk about them soon, but it's good. I just like this this Jamie Hugh combination. Is this? Oh, I was going to yeah. call this the Jew, uh, the Jew, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the Mavel, We'll call it. But uh,
1: we'll get on Jeez, to that. Your, your experience with running names, is, with I, running names together isn't good, Richard. I you, don't. You're think it's right freaky. <laughs>
0: You know, it's funny, Matt. Matt isn't here for like one episode, and we just run amok. You know, the classroom is just chaos.
2: Dropbox must be thrilled.
0: Yeah, exactly. End that. End that hegemony. Let let the kids do what they want. You know.
2: All right. Well, let's get through it, guys. It's been almost a week now, and and has it started to settle down yet from the weekend, the 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 Scotland fallout? We've heard uh, former Scottish stars coming out in absolute outcry over it all, we've had the World Rugby come out and, and declare uh, uh, Hubert's actions actually were wrong, incorrect with that final penalty, even Matty Dawson for what it's worth come out and, and been uh, uh, talked it down Jamie, will we see the end of this?
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think it is starting to die down um, just to sort of put a couple of quotes to a couple of those people you mentioned uh, Gavin Hastings, the sort of the, the granddaddy of Scottish rugby from the late 80s and 90s. He said, if I see Joubert again, I'm going to tell him how disgusted I am. Um, his teammate, Kenny Logan, who used to play on the wing, so obviously knows a lot about rucks and the minutiae of the game. He said that uh, the inept Joubert should never ref at this level again. Um, and, of course, Matt Dawson, as you said, Craig Joubert, you're a disgrace and should never referee again. Um Look, I think those sorts of comments are incredibly unedifying. They reflect pretty poorly on some of these players. Uh, I think, you know, some of them were said in the heat in the moment, but I would hope after a few days of reflection that they realise that they should apologise to Craig and they should do it publicly, given they attacked him publicly. Um, The other point is the sort of more general, subtle sense that, as one punter tweeted, one terrible referee decision changed that game. I mean, that's not true. Uh, That's true if you ignore everything that happened in the previous 78 minutes with us scoring six tries, one of them cancelled out, and just giving three tries just willy-nilly to Scotland, Um, including the first one by Horn, where he clearly picks the ball up at the ruck from an offside position. I mean, that should never have been a try. But I think... The Northerners are so upset that none of them are actually in the semi-finals that this idea that somehow Scotland were robbed and that they really deserved to be in the semi-final, uh, it has gained some traction. What do you guys reckon? Is that is that a bit crazy?
1: No, they've certainly united the the home nations, haven't they? And, and uh, I, I think it, now it, it's kind of come full circle a little bit in the last week because there was the backlash, and then there's been the backlash to the backlash. Yeah. You know, a really good article by Will Greenwood. Um, one by Brian Moore as well. One by um, Scotty, uh, Stevenson. Scotty Stevenson yeah. was another good one. Uh, yeah, there's just a, um, a few of the more level heads have come out and kind of um, put a bit of, um, you know, trying to douse the uh, the flames a little bit, and it's kind of come full circle a little bit, uh, supporting Craig Joubert, which which is appropriate because you know the, that outcry, even in the heat of the moment, is unacceptable from from, um, from media personalities. So. While world rugby, I think, will, will be ruining the the way that they've approached this, uh, um, it's a tough it's a tough situation, and they're under pressure to to come out and and make a call either way. I think they they could have been a bit um, more diplomatic with how they phrased uh, that media release and probably emphasised a little bit more uh, the speed of the play at real time and how difficult that call was to make. Um, because I've watched it a number of times, and even again. You know, some high, just the highlights tonight that I saw, you know, only a 20-second clip. And in real time, that's such a tough call. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I would have I would have probably called it as offside as well.
2: Now, I'm very close to drawing a line in the sand on this one. I'm getting a bit over it, and we, we deserve to focus on the weekend ahead. But I think it's only appropriate, Mr. Will McDougall, to give you as our closest we have to a Scotsman, the final say. Do you have anything on this? I mean, obviously, as a Wallaby fan, any final points from your perspective? What's your thoughts?
3: Well, I think the World Rugby release on it kind of, kind of, sort of, I guess, crystallised everyone's opinion. That all of a sudden it's gone from being this sort of controversial decision. Then everyone kind of took a step back once World Rugby very surprisingly made a made a release about it and said it was wrong. That's kind of, I think, made everyone sort of stand back. And a lot of people and some of those articles. Because we talked about, like Scott Stevenson and um, Will Greenwood have sort of come out and said, "Look, you can't do this." Like the referees got to be sort of sacrosanct in the game; they mm-hmm. make mistakes, They're, they've got a tough job. You can't go throwing them under the bus. And because um... up until then it was really just a bunch of a bunch of idiots in the heat of the moment, sort of making really outlandish comments that they've clearly regretting after sort of a few days later. But um, look, it it's sort of dying a death now because. It really was one decision in a game that was couldn't have gone either way, and it was uh, there's only so much you can say about it. But look, Scotland were hard done by on that decision, but like that's rugby as well. If uh, sort of a couple of minutes earlier, when um, there were sort of a, a sequence of scrums where the first scrum, um, the Scottish he- uh, reserve tight head prop uh, Welsh, sort of stood up under pressure from Slipper. And it was called a reset. Like, that could have very easily been awarded a penalty and uh, we'd have had a shot from goal from there or something. And no one would have batted an eyelid because that looked like a very obvious penalty. But, um, look, we, we came down to this decision that looked like a penalty to begin with. And then they showed replays and then there was some doubt. But it's like – it it does sort of leave a, a bit of a bad taste in your mouth as – 'Cause it's not a nice way to finish the game, whatever side you end up on. But look, it's sport, and that happens. Like you've got to have referees. They that's how that's how you play the game. Yeah, exactly right.
2: Now, from my perspective, just in summing up, what I love is what it's just proved the passion there there is for this tournament. And it shouldn't be a surprise. It is the World Cup. But just to see the amount of print space this has taken. And, you know, we've got, whether it be Matty Dawson or Will Greenwood or Scotty Stevenson, independents here now weighing in and and, and talking about this. And from over here, you know, in in Australia, where rugby has struggled for, you know, the media attention at times, and even a World Cup in the middle of the night struggles to get, some sort of profile, you can really start seeing things heat up here, which is great. So, you know, as uh, as the great man used to say, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about, and there's plenty of people talking about rugby at the moment, which is fantastic. But we're got to start looking ahead, guys. It's now time to look ahead Ahead, at semi-final time. We'll get to the box and the blacks soon, but we've got to start with what we know best, and that's Wallabies versus Argentina on Sunday night, Monday morning. I guess the first question, Hugh, and I'm going to throw this at you. I'm hope you're ready for this. Is Argentina? What do we expect
1: from them? Well, I mean, I think ten to fifteen years ago, you would have said, you know, big scrum and not much else, or you know, some big forwards and, and they'll beat you up. But uh, you know, we should hope to get around them. But now this Argentinian side is is probably, you know, will go down in history as one of the best they've ever produced, and and could well get even better. Um, probably will get even better. They've got, you know, that traditional Argentinian hard front row, you know, Creavy and um, really good players. Um, they've, got a, they've got a really good back row. Fernandez Lobe I believe, might be coming back. Uh, Leguizamon as well. Um, and um, they've got a lightning-fast back line with a really good young 5'8". Mm. They've got Nicolas Sanchez, who's been kicking them from everywhere, and they've got a back three. Um, that is absolutely lightning. And um, uh, Imhoff uh, scored a couple of absolutely brilliant tries against the French, uh, sorry, against the Irish. And they've got uh, Marcelo Bosch coming back as well this week too. Um, their fullback, I think Sam Figaro, is also really good too. I mean, th- they've got, they've got um, assets all, all across the field. And so um, it'll be a real like-for-like battle, I think, us and them, hopefully will be pretty evenly matched and um, it'll be just how we deal with their threats in the back line and how we deal with it, with their strong forward runners.
2: Jamie, I know the Wallabies have talked up the, the offload game and the, the Argentines willingness through the pack to, to keep that ball alive. Uh, is that something you, you see as a threat for our game?
0: I do. Um, I think I, I rewatched the Ireland quarterfinal last night and I mean, given that Ireland was 17 points down after 10 minutes, which is somewhat of a not good position to be in, they really came back into the match very effectively in the sort of middle half, and they did it by really contesting the breakdown. Um, I think it was only when Argentina were able to get their subs on in the last 20, and of course Ireland had been decimated by injury, their subs didn't quite have the same impact, that Argentina actually were able to win the game. Before that it really looked like it was it was going into an arm wrestle. And the Argentinian forwards, maybe not quite as mobile as some of the other teams. And certainly when the Irish started taking it to them, getting their foot in and kicking at the ball and challenging for it on their feet and all of that, um, Argentina's momentum just broke down completely and they began to get really frustrated. Um, so that's one thing that the Aussies could do, though I must say we're not particularly good at that. The other area where I think we got the edge is mentally. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Argentina's never beaten Australia outside of Argentina and has rarely done it in Argentina. Um, and few of these Argentinian players have much experience winning against the Wallabies. Um, and that was something that the Argentinians seemed to take take a while to move into in this quarterfinal. The idea that they might actually beat the Irish seemed to take some time to really set in in that second half.
1: I, I think it's worth noting. The other thing I, I noticed, Jamie, from watching that game back again is the Irish, the speed of the Irish defensive line in that first 20 minutes was just glacial. It was horrible. They just stood back on their heels and let the Irish basically run, uh, let the Argentinians basically run through them. Um, I feel like the Aussies will be really looking to, to get out and pressure that uh, 13 12 channel in that sort of umbrella de- defence. Guys like Ashley Cooper and Kundrani flying out of the line. Um, and and, uh, hoping to slow them down and really put pressure on their passing game because, you know, their forwards and backs were were showing a really good passing game and and willingness to push the ball in contact and move the ball against the Irish. But the Irish were absolutely putting no pressure on that at all. And if we can get up and start to put some of those passes under pressure and some of the ball receivers under pressure, then, you know, that game might start to crack.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's where the spot tacklers become really critical. Uh, Hooper, uh, Rob Horn, if he plays, though I, I think we all think he isn't, um, and also Kane Douglas, the guys who sort of pop up out of the line when the opposition's got a bit of momentum and just look to put the big hit on to stop the momentum in its tracks. Ireland had nobody like that. And to be fair, we did a really poor job of that against Scotland. Our line speed against Scotland was consistently yeah. bad. Um, But I totally agree with that. I mean, the other thing worth noting is if you look at this game, there's one thing that is a trend that comes up time and time again, whether it's the first minute or the 80th. If the Pumas get turnover ball, they're not just running it, they're sending it to the opposite wing so fast like, you can just count on it. It's, it's, it's in the bank, you know. Um, every time the Irish turned it over, the Argentinians would just quick, long, flat passes get it straight to the opposite wing, and I think we need to be really ready for that. Um, we have some quick guys in our team, but we also have some pretty poor one-on-one tacklers, so hopefully we can deal with that, uh, that trend.
2: there, Jamie, you asked me to correct you if you're wrong, and in fact, the Wallabies have won, have lost once, Uh, to the Pumas outside of Argentina, where they lost at uh, Ballymore a few years ago, back in the Hugo Porter era, I believe. But but you're right, the record's pretty damn strong. Otherwise, which takes us back, I guess, uh, Will, the last time we played, we played these guys, Argentina, in Mendoza, earlier this year in the Rugby Championship, and ran away with a pretty comfortable 34-9 victory. Uh, Any takeaways from that? Do you think that's relevant as we enter this weekend?
3: Yeah, I I certainly think they're the sort of team where... If we if we sort of control the game early, we should we should be able to sort of I, I think stay on top. Um, they will give us try scoring opportunities, and we just have to sort of take them there. Um, obviously, there's a lot to improve on from the Scotland game. Uh, you were talking, uh, and um, Jamie was talking a minute ago about our, our line speed just being very poor against. Uh, Against Scotland, and, and that to me was the big difference um, that sort of led us down compared to the uh, England and Wales games, where we really sort of pushed up quickly and dominated that contact zone, both in attack and defence. I felt against Scotland, we really didn't have any. Like both sides kind of got over the advantage line easily, which meant there was sort of no pressure at the breakdown, and then um, sort of you could you could win your ball easily get quick ball and, and send it wide and that's where Argentina will get an advantage and that's certainly what they did to Ireland early on like I thought um, uh, the running of uh, their uh, sort of uh, blindside flanker Pablo Matera was excellent early on and, and really sort of got them going forward and then that gave them the opportunities out wide but yeah I think we've just got a front up from the kickoff and um, and I think Argentina's a side we can sort of probably just sort of uh, quieten down and just not really let them get into the game if we if we start well. So it's about being physical and uh, just sort of being pretty clinical from that kickoff. Uh, and, and I think we can do it. Like, and then I'll, then they will make mistakes. They'll give us opportunities to sort of uh, attack them through sort of some bad kicking or something like a. We sort of scored a very good try from um, just Falau returning the ball and just sending it wide through I think Foley and then um, uh, Joe Tamani who just sort of uh, flew down the wing to, to score a try. And that's the sort of opportunity, I think, that will come against Argentina because um, they can be a bit unstructured at times and uh, will give us those opportunities.
2: Yeah, it's interesting go... We'll talk about what we might expect from this game coming forward and there's obviously some significant talking about points, but you go back to England and that massive scrum, and that was built on the back, I know a lot of people commenting after that about uh, the impact of Ledesma and his impact on that scrum, and then we took on Wales and the defensive effort was huge, and, and then it was Nathan Gray being recognised, and, and Scotland how it started, I thought it was going to be Bernie's game and the, the attack was on song it varied in the match, but it was still, I thought a pretty strong element, great Tries in each corner when your wingers are scoring those sorts of tries, you know things are going well. What we need though is that combination where that across the field all of rugby um, performance by the Wallabies this weekend, and and hopefully that'll give us another opportunity next week. So, uh, you know the big talking point's got to be these injuries. As of it is Thursday evening, we are still unsure of the the status of Pocock, CEO, and Folau. Uh There was some talk this morning in the press that. None would be available, or at least significant doubts on all. I guess the question is, Hugh, and I'll go to you. Uh, is there any chance that Cheek is bluffing with this? He doesn't need to name the team for a little while.
1: Um, and we'll see these guys play. Look, I don't know. It's always hard to know quite what to believe with this. Um, obviously, the, the observations are that they're not training, which is never good. So I. Uh, the fact that David Pocock spent the whole session on a stationary bike is not a positive. Um, the fact that Israel Folau trained for 10 minutes is not a positive. Um, and the fact that Scott Seat didn't is not a positive. There's no – I don't think you'd uh, not foxing with that, I don't think. Um, it's obviously – that it's obvious that they're, they're in some doubt. Um, I think, yeah, it, it's going to be tough regardless. Uh, Pocock will be the one that we miss the most. Uh Falau, given the good form of Kurtley bill might not not might you know we might be able to survive without and the same with c o and having james Slipper come in uh, our depth is pretty good in those positions, and we should still hope to beat the Argentinians without them It's worth noting that they've got you know a few guys Argentina coming in um to their team, so they're getting better where we're probably you know we've lost one of our keys in c o from the quarter final um A part of me wonders is just how much they're tempted to play Pocock on one leg and see if he gets through, you know, 20, 30 minutes um, because he's so important to us that uh, he might be worth just sort of strapping him up and getting him out there and seeing how long he lasts with the risk of burning him totally for the final. But, you know, it's it's always tough at this stage to make those calls um, as a coach and I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't want to be in checkers shoes when it comes to that. Jamie, which way would you land? I mean, should
2: we be going all out and throwing these guys in there or even Pocock for the 20 minutes, as Hugh suggests, or do we play it safe and fitness first?
0: Well, firstly, I I totally agree with the way he's ranked those injuries. I think Pocock is the most important. Um, I feel pretty confident that we will be able to beat Argentina. Um, I would feel twice as confident if David Pocock were running onto the field. Um, I don't know. I would be tempted to rush him in. I think, you know, it's a World Cup semi-final uh there's it's a huge game regardless and I think he does just add so much and I think I really agree with what everybody said a few minutes ago that a lot of this is about the start you know I think if we're up by 10 points at half time I I would put all my money on us winning I just I can't see Argentina getting it together enough to be able to really come back from behind and I think the first half is going to be critical. If David Pocock can play one half of rugby, produce a couple of turnovers, interrupt their rhythm and really allow for a foundation where we're the ones who are dictating the game in the first half, I'm probably all for that, I've got to admit. What, are, what do you reckon, guys?
3: Will, what's your thoughts? Yeah, um, I tend to think that that Checker won't really push it. If if he thinks they're not right, he, he won't pick them. But... Sure. Um, I think he, he, at the same time, he'll give them every opportunity to, to prove their fitness and, and think that um, with well, the Sunday game probably an advantage in that way. It gives them an extra day. And and I imagine, I think they've got to get through a, a reasonable amount of training on Friday um, and then they'll be named in the side. Uh, I reckon if, if uh, neither of them train on Friday, they won't be picked. I, I can't see him sort of naming his team with with an injured player and then hoping that they go from nothing to being able to sort of complete the captain's run and play. But, um, look, uh, I think Checker, Checker knows that it's all on the line and uh, knows how crucial Pocock is. So, um, And Pocock will obviously be wanting to play as well. So I think they'll be trying everything they can to, to play. And, and I agree with that sort of the synopsis that if, uh, if, if you can get maybe half a game out of him and not destroy him, that's probably good enough and, and you'd go with it. So... I guess we'll see I mean, what
0: happens. I, think, I mean, I think just to quickly come back to that, I mean, we, we all talked a lot about how how this, how this not having David in the team would really damage our over-the-ball ability. And against Scotland, we saw that. I mean, it was just crystal clear. That is a good back row that we have. But really, we saw one turnover from Co. We know Scott Fardy useful in that area. But we just didn't have a really effective over-the-ball presence at all. I mean, it just... It went from being a real strength of our game with Pocock on the field to being a complete nothing. Uh, and I'm just not sure that we can, we can do with that unless other members of the forward pack step up in a big, big way there.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. In the end, I think we can cover these guys. I've got, I, get, I think we'll cover them. I don't, I don't think they'll play, um, if there's any doubt. If they're not playing now, I don't think they'll play. I think, Will, your point that they've got an extra day to get ready for the game on the flip side for that if we win, is they've got one less day to yep. <laughs> prepare for the next week, so to speak. So um, I think the depth of squad, the all-of-squad approach that Chica has used uh, so far this year um, will give him the confidence to to trust in Slipper, Beal, and Mick Kalman, and whoever comes on the bench, you suspect um, Toby Smith will come on the bench uh, as of, Well, he will come on the bench as the only remaining prop... That he'll have faith in those guys and to, to, to do the role, and in the end, as you say, Jamie, it's it's how they play. It's not so much the people on the field. It's who else steps up to do those roles, and and, and the likes of Fardy and and uh, Slipper, the benefit of his game, and you know, blesses intercept pass. The benefit of his game is his work rate and um, the ability to to get more out of that position. Perhaps uh, may, be, may somewhat counter the loss of of Pocock in that team as well. So. Um let's put it on the line, guys. Jamie, talk us through who's your tip and, and why for this one.
0: I think the Wallabies will do it. I think they'll do it by about uh, 7 to 10. Um, I think ultimately, as, as I said, mentally, we've got the experience. This is a very tight-knit group of guys with a lot of belief. Uh, and as you said, you know, three big matches this tournament, three times they've stitched together an A-grade performance in one area, you know. Um, Wales, it was the defence. Scotland, it was the attack. Uh, and I just think we're going to be able to put it all together in one big way on the day. And Argentina just going to lack that, that intangible belief that they can be in a World Cup final. Uh, and we'll get through. Uh, it'll obviously be crucial how the scrum goes and how it's refereed. And also we need, uh, Axel to put his kicking boots back on and slot everything. Um, but I think we can do it.
3: Uh, will, I'm I'm going to go Wallabies by twelve. I'm I'm pretty confident. I think I think we'll get the job done. The Wallabies will be much better than they were last week against Scotland, and I don't see Argentina playing as well as they did against Ireland. So I think there'll be a bit of a flip from from those two games, and, and the Wallabies will put it together and uh, and do the job. Okay, Hugh,
1: um, I'm not as not as confident. Um... It's a, it seems to be a recurring thing with me on these tips. Um, is I'll, I'll tip the Wallabies by, by two. I think this... Uh, the Argent- 200, this Argent- 200. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> um, I, I think everyone looks at that Ireland game um, for the Argentinians and, and thinks, oh, geez, you know, I don't think they can reproduce it. I, I think they can. I, I don't think that was a fluke, that game. Um, they've been producing it through the World Cup. Um and you know, blowing away Georgia in that second half, they've blown away pretty much you know everyone, and they did well against Tonga. They um and they pushed the All Blacks, you know, led the All Blacks for a period and only lost by about eight points, I think it was in the end. Um, so certainly um this team's that RG this Argy team's the real deal, and and they're and they're only going to get stronger from last week. So I I can't wait for this game. I think it's going to be fantastic. I I think we'll have too much. Uh, Power at the back end. Um, You know, I I like to think that we'll just eliminate some of those little errors we made against Scotland, and hopefully, just up our intensity in defence a little bit. And um, I think we'll we'll get the job done. So Wallabies by two, but uh, it'll be an absolute bell ringer.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Hugh. I think it'll be a tight one. I'm I'm concerned, but I've got confidence in the team. and, And for pretty much exactly as you said is how I think it'll play out. I think it'll be. The back end that sees us through. Remembering Argentina made it all the way through the semi finals in 2007, ultimately going down to South Africa, who would go on to win in that semi final. In fact, won the third, fourth playoff for what it was worth to finish third in 2007. So they've got that World Cup experience in the semi finals, made the quarterfinals in 2011. So uh, they know what to expect out of this. I've got no doubt um, they'll be up for it this weekend. And, and as you said, they've got some key players coming back. I just think it'll be those little. 10% performance lifts from our boys, that'll get us across the line. So I'll say Wallabies by uh, three to five, but um, it'll be a, a fantastic encounter. And I, I, what's that? It's about two o'clock on Monday morning, Brisbane time, is that correct? So three o'clock down there, guys, Sydney?
3: Uh, yeah, 3 a.m. Yep. It's pretty much the worst time you could uh, come up with. A... <laughs> horrible,
1: horrible. No, oh, I don't mind it because it's going to be better than last week because I. Uh... There's not a pre-game on before it, so at least I can get to sleep. Yes, sort solid, a yeah. solid few hours in and then and then get up. My, I you, did.
2: You, I did enjoy your lack of sleep rant though. The the article yep. you wrote post <laughs> other on. It was a cracker.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, as I said, like I had it all. I was, I was expecting it to be a real sort of heartbroken kind of lament. Um, but as it was, it turned out pretty okay. Then, but I certainly couldn't get to sleep. So at least it put me to work doing something as opposed to. Watching, you know, whatever's on TV at four in the morning.
2: All right. So the next semi-final is on Saturday night, 24 hours before or, or thereabouts, and it's the All Blacks, fresh from their their absolute drubbing of the French, taking on the Box, who uh, got up over Wales with a, a a try in the last few minutes. There, uh, are the All Blacks beatable, Jamie?
0: They are. Uh, And I'd like to think this South African team can do it, but I don't think this South African team will do it. Um, I think, you know, particularly looking at that Wales game, the the South Africans still have absolutely zero ball-playing ability in their centres. You know, both of them are great runners, they're elusive, they're good tacklers, but they, they, they just can't create space and put people into it. That's just not the way they're built, you know. It's like trying to use a smart car as a pickup, you know, it's just it's just not the way it is. Um, and I think they really rely heavily on LaRue to come in out wide and provide a bit of variance, and he does have a nice passing game. But I just think, as a defence, the All Blacks are going to be quite happy to give South Africa the ball and just wait, just wait to pick off the ball and use counterattacks, just wait to challenge over the ball and get penalties and kick them. Uh, I think ultimately... The South Africans' best hope is rain, and it does look like it's going to rain. Right. Um, and they're going to maul it all day. Um, but I think ultimately, it's, this New Zealand team is good. It's not unbeatable. It's good. Um, but the South Africans just don't have the specific things to really stretch New Zealand and push on their weak points. What do you guys reckon?
2: I, I'm with you, um, Jamie. I think I'm surprised the box is still here. You know, I, you know, I remember earlier this season just thinking they had nothing. Um, they've done well to get here, particularly after their early setback versus Japan. But I guess, um, you know, their, their pool, you know, they fought hard they had to beat Scotland and, and uh, Samoa. But uh, I'm surprised they've got as far as they had. And, and I thought Wales actually looked really good last week. I don't see them any chance against the All Blacks. I think the All Blacks will win this pretty comfortably. It won't be 60 points that we saw last week, but I think they'll look uh, pretty comfortable with this one. Will? Yeah,
0: to, to, oh, sorry, to clarify, was, yeah. just quickly, I think Argentina and South Africa are probably playing around about the same level at the moment. You know, I, I don't think one of the semifinals is easier than the others. Let's put yeah. it that way. All right. Will?
3: Yeah, I think New Zealand will certainly win. Yeah. Um, I tend to think it'll be it'll be sort of reasonably close. I, I think within ten points. Um, I thought New Zealand were just absolutely outstanding against France, and um, I think if they play that way two more times, no one will beat them. That um, was just sublime rugby, but uh, I, I can't see them playing that well again either. Certainly not twice, because um, probably haven't seen that uh, seen that from them sort of all-year sort of thing. That was their, their best game of the season, I thought. And, um, yeah, South Africa needs needs things to go their way because, uh, as Jamie said, they don't have the, I think, the attacking nous to really take it to the All Blacks. They they need it to be a scrappy game um, and just they need to really battle hard at the forwards. And that's where that's where they probably got their opportunities. Like, I think uh, Etzebeth and, and Dejaga are playing really well in, at lock, not that the all black locks aren't outstanding, but um those are the sort of places where uh the Springboks really need to play well and uh and uh De will be very important for them, um out in the centres. Probably more as a as another back rower trying to steal the ball because uh that seemed to be pretty much what he did last week against uh Wales. He was sort of really good in that midfield just to uh, act as another sort of loose forward but um not that he got many opportunities with ball in hand, but uh Look, I think New Zealand will get the job done, but I think it'll be a, pre- a pretty sort of gritty game and uh, we'll be pretty close. All right, Hugh, what about you? You're calling the upside I assume. Yeah?
1: Oh, I really want to. Yeah, I, think yeah. they, I think the box will get up for this. Um, they always get up for the All Blacks more than any other team. And, and, you know, the best game of the year of Test Rugby is always the box versus the All Blacks in South Africa. Yep, and this I is agree. still a neutral venue. Look, I, I think the All-Blacks, I think that French probably made it look a little bit better than they were. Uh, and, and the box are percolating along. An upset wouldn't surprise me. I'll tip the All-Blacks by less than a try. Um, the match-up I can't wait to see, and you touched on it there, um, Will, was um, the, in the centres. I mean, Ma Nonu and, and um, Conrad Smith against Damian D'Alende and Jesse Creel. Um, you know, the old against the new. Um, which is going to be fantastic, uh, I think, uh, just to see how, how that one plays out. Uh, I think the box are probably just a little bit behind the eight ball here, just a few too many old legs in that team, and uh, they might get shown up. But uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see them come out and uh, and really put on a, a a polished display, a physical effort, and, and push the all Blacks. And, and they can certainly win, but uh, I'll tip the all Blacks by four.
2: Alright, interesting stuff. uh, Let's hope for a close one. These will be fantastic encounters. I know we're we're, uh, hogging the limelight a bit down here in the Southern Hemisphere, but um, this weekend of rugby will be fantastic and I think anywhere in the world as a rugby fan, you'll be looking forward to the, to the, um, the battles that are on show uh, this weekend and plenty to look forward to. And uh, just one week to go in the tournament, which I can't believe, but uh, that's the semi-finals this weekend. Any final World Cup chat, guys, before we, we wrap up and talk NRC very quickly?
0: Can we just talk for a minute about how bad the French were? <laughs> With pleasure. I mean, I mean they've, they've earned it. They've earned a torrent of abuse and shit being thrown in their direction. I mean, that was just an awful, disjointed performance. I mean, some of the players looked like they'd never met the guy who was playing next to them. They had no structure, no concept of what they were trying to do as a team. Um, and then once Pickemol got yellow carded, they just—it looked like they'd actually packed up and gone home for the for August for their summer holiday. Um, they had absolutely no interest in still being on the field. Um, I mean, they sucked. They absolutely sucked. Is, is that too harsh or is it too easy? I feel like it might be too easy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, it was embarrassing, and I, and I think I tweeted at the time. It was just, this has been such a fantastic World Cup. In my eyes, it's been the best on on a number of levels. I think the, the crowd support has been fantastic. But just the, the the competition throughout, you know, there's obviously been none of the big runaway uh, victories. There's been some biggest scores, but none of the embarrassing stuff. But for a quarter, for a World Cup quarterfinal to have 60-odd points scored against you and, and look as insipid as you suggest they were, Jamie, it, it was just uh, embarrassing.
1: Well, also, yeah, I mean, in terms of how good the World Cup's been, Reg, just touching on that, uh, the style that's been played has yes. been sensational too. We haven't, I mean, and, and touchwood wood continues this weekend, but we haven't had that, traditional grinding kind of World Cup where the fence kind of dominates. In 2007 yeah, style, yeah, yeah. 2011 was probably a bit more open and free-flowing. But um, the other thing I think that really helped with that has been the refereeing. I think it's been fantastic yeah. Yeah. all through the Cup and even in those quarterfinals. I mean, everyone's focused on Joubert's contentious decision, but I thought uh, Garces, Barnes and Owens were all fantastic. Just really, you know, keep, keeping out, letting the game flow and, um, you know, trying to... Trying to keep the whistle in the pocket as much as possible and, and let, let the players sort it out.
0: Yeah, I think the other really good thing about this tournament is it's really broken down that barrier between Tier 1 and Tier 2. I mean, you know, come 2016, we're, we're going to be happy to welcome Japan into Tier 1 and equally we're going to be happy to send England and France back down to Tier 2, you know? <laughs> it's, it's good to have some promotion and relegation to keep everyone on their toes.
2: How scary is... Um... Super Rugby next year, when you consider that the Argentine (laughs) team has signed most of this World Cup semi final team to play Super Rugby.
1: Ridiculous. Yeah,
0: ridiculous. I'm not, I mean, obviously we'll get to that early next year, but I'm not 100% sure that they've really thought out this conference system. Um, (laughs) I mean, it looks like a two headed monster. It looks like, you know, someone was really drunk and went into their back shed and attached everything in their back shed to everything and then called it a masterpiece. Um, but the Argentinians and the Brumbies, they're in super strong position for next year, so we'll wait and see, I guess.
2: We will indeed. Uh, Look, guys, that's World Cup. I wanted to touch on NRC. It is World Cup semi-final weekend. It is also NRC semi-final weekend. Uh, Whether that's a good planning or bad planning, I'm not too sure yet, but it all starts tomorrow night, Friday night, down at Viking Park where the second-placed Canberra Vikings host Melbourne Rising, who finished third. Rising getting up uh, into third with a, a last-round victory over the Sydney Stars. The Stars finishing fourth spot, and they'll play at Ballymore on Saturday night versus Brisbane City. But uh, on the face of it, you, you would expect the Vikings and uh, Brisbane City to run away with it this weekend. A reminder that last year's grand final was played versus between the third place finisher and the fourth place finisher with both one and two being knocked out in the first round of the NRC. So anything couldn't happen. It would be highly unlikely and be massive upsets. But interesting, both uh, Brisbane City and Canberra have had players, key players pull out. Jordan Smiler out for the Vikings and Patoa Paraka is out for the Brisbane City and Scotty Higginbotham's not back yet. So some, you know, decent players missing for them. It'll be uh, the challenge for the, uh, the visiting teams, the Rising and the Stars. I think there's more hope in the Rising pulling one up over the, the Vikings only because they do have some real quality in their team with the likes of uh, Debrezzini and, and uh, Ben Meehan, who's been fantastic, and Jonah Placid at the back. They have injuries themselves. Dom Shipley and Luke Jones are two key losses. Sydney Stars have not beaten anyone, in the final series, the only teams that have won four games this year and they're the bottom four, bottom four team on the ladder. So I think they're zero hope. Will, you yep. follow the NRC? you think that's a fairly accurate summation? Or... A-
3: absolutely. And I think uh, it's, I was pretty disappointed last week when my uh, Country Eagles didn't yeah, make it through. Uh, yeah. They got some, I think, stitched up with uh, that... Um, rising stars game finishing 18 10 at time and the, the half-time score didn't school. change so yeah. i don't know what happened there but uh the uh stars went through on a bon with a bonus point but uh look that might be a might be a bit of a sort of a a sort of false prize because um i, I reckon they could easily have 70 points put on them by uh by brisbane city because I, I think that's how the game went earlier in the season from memory they uh they're going to get dusted up there it's not going to be pretty at all so yeah, it was
2: the previous game was it's interesting enough this semi final both these matchups were in round 7 this year but yeah Brisbane got up 58-0 last time but it was 45-0 at half time and they definitely uh, took the uh the pedal off the middle the, the pedal sort of thing in that second half um, it's also worth mentioning that John O'Lance was named NRC player of the year obviously Green Gold rugby had votes towards that every match uh, and uh, great to see John a wonderful season and Force fans should be very excited about his, um, his heading west. And also he's, the Astri- Go on.
0: He's a class act, isn't he, Lance? I mean, he he's, he's a really nicely rounded player. He looks like the sort of guy you could build a team around and just be very confident that week in, week out, he'd put in a great performance. You know, he's, he's just got all the fundamentals there. I think, uh-huh.
2: And he is a fly, fly half. He, he dominated the Queensland club competition many years ago as a 21, 22 year old, you know, pretty fresh out of uh, the Colts program. You know, filled in for the Reds' Admiral. He made his debut, I think, in the semi-final at fullback back in 2011, yeah. and, and then obviously played the final as well, and and was a utility player. Went down the Tars hoping for more time at fly half. Didn't get his chance and now heads west. And you would hope they would back him at fly half, despite the fact of signing Peter
3: Grant. Yeah, let's so, not hope they yeah. played Peter Grant all season, yeah, because that'd be very disappointing for all involved, but particularly yeah, Force think, fans, I think.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of Tars fans really thought he was going to become... Like, he, I, I thought he was a very savvy signing. I thought, you know, his ability to play 10, 12, and 15, I thought we were going to see a lot of John O'Lance, and we didn't. And then this year, he's been knocking over the goals as well, yeah. like, you know, really quite nicely. Well, um, I was just wondering, Reg and Will, since you guys are the kings of the grassroots, are there any players that you know, have really come on the scene this year, they don't need to technically qualify as rookies, who you think, give them 12 months and we're going to see them in a gold jersey, give them 18 months, gold jersey?
2: Mate, the, the one that catches, and, and I, can I just finish on Jono Lance? I got to know Jono a bit when yeah. he was at the Reds. You, you talk about build a team around him. He's off the field, he's that type kind of guy too. He's a real culture builder. And you probably see it in a bit of the Pentagon stuff, but he's a real, you know, people are drawn to him. He's a a wonderful guy. He's got a great culture, so I wish him well. But in terms of players, the player I keep coming back to is this Jerome McKenzie. Now, McKenzie lit up the competition last year when he played for the Rams. I think he was a a Penrith boy, and he showed blistering speed and and, and scored a bunch of tries, and everyone was sort of um, pinning on him to get a contract with the Tars. I think he broke his leg or something close to the end of the season and missed most of this club season as well. He's turned up at the New South Wales Country Eagles and sort of finally got himself back in the team. And he may not have the lightning speed, but I reckon he's got legitimate all-round game as a winger. He he runs a great line, he's got great strength, decent footwork. He is one that I legitimately think is close to the best winger in the competition now that Kella, Kellaway playing fullback. And you know, Lello, if he's got great skill and speed, but in terms of someone who I reckon you could plonk on the end of a Super Rugby team next year, Mackenzie's the man for mine. Yeah, I think I, obvi- I agree. But
0: obviously But obviously he can't get a super rugby contract as a winger because he's not yeah, playing rugby, rugby league at the moment. Yeah. Exactly right. So there's that. Yep. Um cool. I mean that's I mean I hate to say it, but it's a bit of a disgrace to be honest. I mean we're putting all these money and resources into a into a third tier rugby competition, it's gone better than anybody thought it would eighteen months ago when they first signed off on it. And then the teams keep going to Parramatta to sign their wingers. I mean, I just don't really understand what's going on there. I don't understand why the management staffs at the franchises think that a rugby league player is going to make a better transition than a rugby union player. I don't, any thoughts on that guys?
2: I a hundred percent agree. I don't get the Reese Robertson signing out. I don't watch a lot of the league, the club league at least. So I don't know. can't talk to his abilities, but when I see Mackenzie doing what he's done for the last four or five weeks for the, for the Eagles. I can't understand why you would go to someone who, as far as I know, hasn't played the game before. And if he has, it's many, many years ago. You know, Mackenzie just has has the goods.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little more pragmatic about it. Like, I think I kind of think it's a, it's an open market and they sign people from anywhere. I reckon they've gone with Robinson because they want someone who's an older head When because they've got a lot of young players. Like, they've signed, I think, Harry Jones. He's got a and either an EPS or a transition yeah. contract with the TARS and they've got Kelloway sort of coming through and, um, Clooney's Ross who sort of was signed last year and hasn't, hasn't played super rugby yet. So they've got a bunch of young wingers and I think they just want a, an older outside back, but we'll see how he goes. I, I believe he played Colts rugby, um, right, quite a while okay. ago. So I think he has some rugby experience. Yep. Um, but yeah, look, I, I agree that McKenzie hopefully gets a contract somewhere. Cause I think he, I agree with Reggie's, He looks very good. Um, the guy I think who, who will really take a step up next year and look, he's he's not not some secret from the NRC because he played Super Rugby last year, but I think Blake Ennever could go very close to playing uh, for the Wallabies next year. I think he's he's a star in the making and and a good sort of good physical big lock that sort of does everything he needs to. Um... But yeah, I think uh, it's been it's been another good NRC competition and there are. I think just a lot of depth around the place. There's a lot of good loose forwards particularly. And um, yeah, every every team sort of seems to have a a bunch of sort of unknown guys who just can come in there and and play well and and mix it with guys who are sort of week-in, week-out professionals in Super Rugby. So it's impressive and we'll see a bunch of them sort of get into Super Rugby next year and, and hopefully someone breaks through the Wallabies before too long. So.
1: Yeah, a lot exactly. of good props coming through, too, I've got to say. Yeah. Especially up in Queensland. I don't know what you yep. guys are doing to doing to churn them out, but um, you could name four or five that uh, are probably in line for some contracts and higher honours next year if, if they keep going. Harris and, you know, Patoa Paraka and um, uh, Tupo as well. <laughs> I, that, I mean, yep, there's absolutely. a few around.
2: Yep, yep, you're yeah, exactly right. There's great depth, and I think, Lock Will mentions it, you know, front row, there's really good depth. So the competition's been a, a, a big success again. There's still more growing to do. Uh, Green and Gold Rugby will be involved as part of the official end-of-season review by the ARU. Uh, I'll represent us there. So we're open to feedback, guys. Jump on What about our NRL, NRC threads. And pass your feedback on if you've got any opinions as how we can improve it. What the ARU did well, because I did they. I think they did deserve a little of credit this year. They did some great jobs. Um, Steve Hall, Steve Stammers, the uh, two guys who have really driven that from an ARU perspective, have uh, been tireless in their promotion of uh, the NRC and what they're trying to do. So credit to those guys. And let's hope for a great weekend of NRC rugby and Super and Rugby World Cup semi-finals mm. as well.
0: I must say the future is looking good. Like. I'm feeling good about the weekend, but I'm also feeling good about sort of looking forward into the years to come. I mean, this NRC competition is so overdue. We needed it so badly. And if you just look across the state of Australian rugby, the depth is, is just much better than it has been, you know, and it, it, there's no reason to think that it's not going to get better from here on out, you know. It's it's a nice bit of optimism to contrast with the pessimism of the last few years. So. I
3: yeah, I agree. Of- there's... There's more good players not playing for the Wallabies right now than there generally is. There's more good players who who aren't playing Super Rugby, and there's sort of lots of good players coming into into the NRC. Like there's like often you sort of get this Wallaby team, and it's like, oh, if someone gets injured, um, you, you're sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel to get someone who's up for the job. But currently, we've got a whole bunch of guys who who can't sort of even get into the squad who who we know are good Wallabies. So. Um, it's definitely a much better position than things have been lately. So, Well, guys, with that positive
2: talk, let's call the evening to uh, halt, the, wrap up the podcast here. Uh, a massive thanks to our sponsors <laughs> once again, Dropbox, for their support of the Grinning Gold Rugby podcast. But uh, thanks to our listeners for joining in. To our contributors tonight, Will, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks. thanks for having me, Reg, and go the Wallabies. Absolutely. Jamie, to you. Have a great day ahead of you.
0: Cheers, guys. I'm a Walla believer as well.
2: <laughs>
1: Thanks,
2: <laughs> uh, and Hugh, uh, we uh, look forward to more of your match reviews and rants as the uh, as the game progresses, mate.
1: <laughs> yeah, hope for another triumphant four a.m. post. That's what we're going for.
2: Good stuff, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.
3: Yeah, right there, right there.